All right, so uh, as we're kind of getting settled, Kelvin is walking around and handing out uh, our schedule for next week. And uh, if you didn't know, this is Passion Week that we're enter entering into starting tomorrow. And again, so you're reminded of why we're calling it Passion Week. It, it doesn't have to do with maybe what you might think. It doesn't have to do necessarily with stirring up some kind of passion in us, although it should. That's not the point. It just really means it's a time of reflection upon the suffering of Christ. Um, and so that's what we're doing. And so we want to have a dedicated time of focusing all of our attention and affections on, uh, on Christ's suffering throughout this week. And Scripture gives much attention to this, as has the church throughout history focused much attention on this. And uh, maybe you are, maybe you are not familiar with the fact that Christmas is maybe the, the primary focus of, of, of our attention here, maybe in the United States and, or in our culture, but that, that was not a thing. Celebrating the birth of Christ was really not a thing for much of church history. It became a thing, uh, but really it has never not been a thing to celebrate Easter. Uh, so it, it is about the crucifixion, the resurrection of our Lord. And if Jesus has not been raised, then we are still in our sins, Right? So we focus on this and we rejoice in it together. So you have laid out in front of you uh, a schedule for our week. And so what that's going to look like is this. Um, did you have enough to go around? Good. Thank you, Kelvin. Okay, so starting tomorrow, our, the church building will be open from 6 to 7 uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The point of this is that you can come to the church building to have a dedicated time of prayer uh, with your church family and a time maybe just set aside because can't we all acknowledge that while you can pray at home, there is something different about dedicating a time and a space to prayer and it changes things, doesn't it? And so we're just providing that space that you might be able to come and pray now, is it going to take extra effort to be involved in this? No doubt. I, I recognize that. Everyone does. It will take extra effort to be involved in that. Now, although the building will be open from 6 to 7, you are not under constraint to stay for an hour. If you can get here at 6.45 and stay for 15 minutes, uh, that's great. If you want to stay for the whole hour, that's fine. You want to come stay from 6 to 6.15 and then you got to go. Hey, you do what you need to do during that time, but the building will be open from 6 to 7 for you to come and go as you please. Now, one thing to keep in mind about this is that we are going to try to create an environment in here that is uh, calm, that is quiet, and that is uh, conducive to an environment where people can concentrate and pray, okay? Uh, so that will be what happens. So you come, show up at six each night of the week, and there will be, uh, similar to this, a handout each, each night of the week that is gonna have a focus for that day. So each day we're going to have a different text to reflect upon. We're going to have a different emphasis in prayer and application. So each night of the week we'll have a, a different way we can emphasize that day. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are all exactly the same. Um, but then we get to Friday. Friday we're actually going to have a service together, a Good Friday service. So at six o'clock, come on Friday, and we're going to have a time of song, scripture reading, and the Lord's Supper together. A song, scripture reading, and the Lord's Supper together. That's what that time will be. So it'll last about an hour. It won't be uh, all that long, very, very long of a service. But uh, we're going to reflect over um, uh, the timeline of the crucifixion 
And um, as we do, we're going to sing about those truths together, make some application, and we'll end our night together in taking the Lord's Supper, okay? Now, um, Saturday will be, uh, the, you have all this information, Saturday will be our fellowship at Sam and Brett's house at 4 o'clock, and I know, uh, right now it says rain, and we're just praying. There is biblical evidence that should the Lord not want it to rain, guess what? That he will withhold the rain. If we pray too hard, he will withhold the rain for too long. No, that's not true, but uh, if the Lord intends for us to have this day, we're going to pray that it might not rain, and if it doesn't rain, then that is pretty clear evidence that the Lord wants us to have this time together. So uh, we're just going to pray that there's not rain on Saturday and that we can have this time, but just, um, of course, we'll communicate that. But as it stands, we are planning 100% to have that time together. And then Sunday, we've talked about, you know, what's happening Sunday. Now, there's a, a specific thing that I have skipped over, and it will be the focus of our time this morning. Uh, before I do that, I, I have a feeling I'm going to forget about this. Last week, I made a chart, and I said, I will provide that to you. Well, here it is as promised. Yeah. I also did what I promised you, and so uh, I'll just have to talk to you about it later. Um, but uh, here it is, a little handout. If you want to take that home with you, there it is. I'm going to set it right here, and that's the last thing I'm going to say about it, okay? There you go. So come get one of those later on uh, if you want it, preferably after the service is over, Okay. Uh, so what I skipped over is that Thursday evening till Friday evening, we're going to have a time of corporate fasting. Now, fasting. Some of you have participated in fasting before. Many of you have not, and I recognize that, okay? I know that. It could potentially be a thing that you've never really heard much about. Your churches have not practiced it in the past, uh, we have practiced this as a church, but many of you have not been here all that long, and maybe you've not participated in that with us. Uh, Thursday evening, you're gonna, you can have dinner on Thursday evening, but after 6 o'clock, we're going to fast from 6 p.m. Thursday until 6 p.m. Friday, and the first meal we will have together will be the Lord's Supper at our Good Friday service. Okay? Now, you might say, I don't even know what that means. That sounds like something I don't want to do. Um, you say fasting, that doesn't sound pleasant. Uh, I don't know why we're doing it. I don't know the intentions behind it. I don't know the biblical purposes behind fasting. Um, maybe you say, I, I have health condition, and I'm sorry, I just can't participate. Uh, I hope to answer all of those things for you from the word today. Okay? So um, let me just walk you through what we're going to do this morning. And we are in a sense, deviating from our study in Isaiah, but not, not entirely, as you'll see here uh, soon. But we are going to be in Isaiah 58, but not yet. What I'd like to do is, for a time, present to you some ideas throughout Scripture about fasting so that we might know a little bit about fasting from Scripture and then enter into Isaiah 58, which I know we're not at Isaiah 58. Nobody panic. We will go back to where we left off, and then when we get to Isaiah 58, we'll, we'll skip over Isaiah 58 and go to Isaiah 59. So we're just going to fast forward a little bit. Does that make sense? Even if it doesn't, that's what we're going to do. So uh, what I'd like to do then is just lay out this idea of fasting from Scripture. So if you've not fasted before, or if you've fasted and not understood it before, 
or you've not felt the need to fast. That's for other people. That's not for me. Or it's only for the super spiritual people. Or it's only for monks in a monastery somewhere. I don't know what your thoughts are about fasting, but I hope to introduce you to this and give an understanding of it from Scripture. And as a result, I hope that you will feel uh, a necessary constraint laid upon you from the Scriptures to participate on the, with this in some level. Okay? So let's begin. And... Uh, I do have some notes for you on the slides today, if you're a note taker. So here's how we'll start. I think it's necessary that we start this way. That there is an expectation in the New Testament that Christians will practice fasting. There is an expectation in the scriptures that Christians will practice fasting. I'm starting here. Uh, because I think we need to know this before moving forward. Because you might say, well, I... You know, I see, no, I see it in the Old Testament. I know that they practice fasting in the Old Testament. But ever in the New Testament, does it tell us to fast? Well, there's an expectation that Christians will be fasting. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Where do we get that from? You have two references there. I'm just going to read one of them. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, this is right before the Lord's Prayer to give you context. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what we can understand from this text is what? Is that there is an expectation that Christians, believers, will be fasting. Do you, do you hear it? It doesn't say if you fast. What does it say? When you fast. Um, there's, a, there's another one there in Mark, different situation. Uh, again, with an expectation that although Jesus' disciples were not fasting there because he was with them, he said, as soon as I go, believe me, my disciples will be fasting. Okay? So knowing that Christians should be fast, there's an expectation on us from Jesus himself, from the scriptures, that we will be fasting. Um, what is fasting? Where did it come from in the scriptures, biblically speaking, and not necessarily looking at church history here, like what has the church been doing, but looking at scripture, what is fasting and where does it come from and what does that mean for us? So let's just talk a little bit about the origins of biblical fasting. And I want to do this from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23 in particular. There's a couple places, but I want to go to Leviticus 23. Again, just a few verses. Verses 26 through 32. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now, on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. Whoever does any work on that very day, the person I will destroy from among his people. This sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict yourselves. 
On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from, uh, from evening to evening shall be your Sabbath. Evening to evening. Okay? Much like the fast that we're going to do together from evening to evening was a common way to fast. Now, you might be saying, though, okay, you read a text there. We're talking about fasting, but you never even said the word fast. Uh, that's true if you have an ESV, at least, because it said the word afflict. You shall afflict yourself and present a food offering to the Lord. And then again in verse 29, whoever does not afflict themselves on that day will be cut off from his people. Verse 32, you shall afflict yourselves. See that? What does afflicting yourself have to do with fasting? And is that the way they understood it? Well, I will tell you that the Jewish people understood very clearly that this idea of in, uh, afflicting yourself was in reference to fasting, to afflict yourself. Proverbs 6.30 says, People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. Now, the reason I just read that for you is because that word appetite is actually found in the passage we just read from Leviticus. And what it actually says is that you shall afflict your appetite. Some translations like the KJV, I believe it says afflict your soul or soul affliction. But really, it's the idea of an appetite, as we find here, that you will afflict your appetite, which is afflicting yourself, the very center of yourself, which we might understand as the whole person or soul. So the idea is combined there together, yes. But here's the idea, is that you are afflicting yourself by not eating, bringing about self-affliction. And so you're asking, why would a person ever want to do that, and why would God ask someone to do that? To afflict yourself. Why? The word affliction kind of has some synonyms, and maybe we're familiar with these ideas. To afflict is to be violated. It is to be mistreated, oppressed, and humiliated. That's what affliction is. The people were called to afflict themselves by not eating to afflict their appetite. And so that's what they practiced. On the Day of Atonement, they would fast from evening to evening, meaning they would afflict themselves, bring about self-affliction by not eating. All for what purpose? Well, the word affliction can mean in a positive sense uh, to humble, right? You humble yourself, but when someone else does it to you, it is affliction. You do something to yourself, you're, you're bringing yourself low. Someone else does it to you and they're afflicting you. Does that make sense? They're oppressing you. They're humiliating you. When you do it to yourself, it's very different. So this is a, sense of, a type of self-affliction. I am voluntarily saying, I am going to afflict myself by not eating food. Why would you do that? And again, why would God have his people do that? Of what significance does that hold to anything? And specifically, what value might that even have for today as Christians? Why do that? We know, and I know, I recognize that people fast. This is a, a normal thing that people do for health benefits. You're aware of this, right? People fast for health benefits. Let me just let you know that this is not the reason that we are going to fast. It is not for the sake of, well, it's, it's good and healthy for you. So if nothing else, at, at least it's healthy for you. Wrong. That's not why we're doing it. Now, is it true that it does have health benefits? Well, 
I, that's not my field, okay? So ask someone else about that. From what I hear, yes, it can be in, uh, healthy, but I don't know for sure. That's not why we're doing it. That's not why we're concerned with it. We're fasting for spiritual purposes. What are those spiritual purposes? When you afflict yourself, you're bringing about this kind of oppression on yourself that others could bring, but why would you want to do that? Because when someone else afflicts you or oppresses you, you've got to have this mental image of someone pushing you low to the ground, making you unworthy. But when you do it to yourself, you are pushing yourself down and making yourself unworthy. So what effect does this have? It is a humbling effect, Right? When we self-afflict by not having food, we are humbling ourselves before the Lord. So many times when you read about fasting in Scripture, the humbling of the person and, and fasting is going to be seen together many times. Humbling and fasting. In addition, particularly on the Day of Atonement, it had to do with sin. Why do I need to humble myself? Because you're sinful. I mean, that's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? Why do I need to humble myself? Well, you're not God and you're sinful. So should you humble yourself? Well, I mean, I guess. I suppose. Maybe I should humble myself. I feel good about myself many times. Uh, but maybe humbling myself is a good thing. Does Scripture say that humbling yourself before the Lord is a good thing? So, there is an inward act of humbling ourselves, but do you know that it can accompany an external act as well, such as fasting? Self-affliction that brings you low for spiritual purposes. Okay, so maybe at this time we can kind of have a rough definition of what we ta we're talking about when we talk about fasting. So here's my rough idea of, uh, of a definition based on our time together. Is that a, it's a voluntary act of self-affliction where the appetite is denied. And what does this do? It produces humility and dependence on the Lord as your sin is acknowledged and forgiveness is desired. Does all this make sense? This is what it produces. This is what it should do. It's a voluntary act. I'm afflicting myself. For what purpose? I'm denying myself my appetite. Why? Because this will produce humility in me and dependence. When you're not eating and your body is crying out for food, you're depending on yourself to go find something and eat it, which we do all the time. In fact, we do it every day. And to deny yourself such a basic element of life makes you humble. It puts your life in perspective. You are so dependent on food to live. Are you even more dependent on your God to live? That's a good question to ask. So I want to ask another question here um, and that question is so if self-affliction causes this is any type of self-affliction acceptable that's just a question we maybe should ask I remember this story of reading about Martin Luther and uh, he which I was able to actually go and visit this room last year where he did this supposedly but he would, uh, as, a, as a monk, he wanted to deny himself that he might be further humbled before the Lord. And so in the dead of winter, he would sleep with his window open, thinking that if I deprive myself of heat and physical, uh, any kind of physical um, 
maybe what you might call uh, privileges, right? Which I guess if you want to call heat a privilege. He's saying, if I deny myself these pleasures and privileges, um, maybe I will be more acceptable to the Lord. Now, Martin Luther had a, had a crisis within himself about being acceptable, but nevertheless, we might think about things like this. Is that what, what do we need to do? do? Should we afflict ourselves? Should we deny ourselves pleasures all the time? And in so doing, we are more acceptable to God? Is that the idea? That we just give up every pleasure everywhere because God does not want you to have any of those things. So the more you deny yourself, the more godly maybe you'll become or you'll be seen in the eyes of God. Is that the idea? Um, that is, in fact, not the idea. And Paul warns against this in Colossians 2, 20, and 20, 20 through 23. He says, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all these things that perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom, listen, in promoting self-made uh, religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They are of no value. Now, asceticism, uh, another way of saying that is self-denial. In practicing self-denial, although there may be a type of benefit derived from that, right, it has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, right? So you get what this means? Is that you can deprive yourself of something. You're saying, okay, good for me. Maybe God likes me better today because I deprived myself of something that I wanted. That's a weird way to think. I, I've afflicted myself, and, and God likes that when I afflict myself. Is that the idea? Well, clearly that's not the idea. Um, the idea is to produce a humbling independence on the Lord, not for you to suffer and be in pain voluntarily, thinking that that's what God wants for your life. Right? So, um, this did lead, though, to the monastic movement. Uh, where they deprive themselves of all worldly privileges, which is why they live together in community because they were so unlike the rest of the world. And so we can kind of understand how it might go that far, right? And so there was this group of people who denied themselves, and people still live like that today, don't they? But is that the idea? Clearly, that's not the idea spoken of here, so what does it mean? You might be thinking of something else, which I thought of, um, there is a type of self-denial that is promoted in Scripture, and it's the kind of self-denial that a husband and wife can have for one another. And this is in 1 Corinthians 7. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 5. And it says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you might devote yourselves to prayer. But then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so there is a way in which you're denying a particular type of appetite. We all understand? You're denying yourself a particular type of appetite in that moment for the purpose of directing yourself toward prayer. So it had a reason behind it, but I will say in this moment, that is not called fasting. Biblically speaking, that is still not fasting. Fasting was in relationship to specifically the appetite of the belly, food. So, although we can deny ourselves for a time and it produce an effect, such as devoting yourself to prayer, the idea is not, so don't hear me say this, that God simply wants you to suffer by afflicting yourself. 
We all clear on that? But there is a type of self-affliction that is called for that Jesus anticipated his followers to participate in called fasting. Fasting. All right. What is the connection between prayer and fasting? Because don't we all often hear these two together, prayer and fasting, fasting and prayer? Why is, what is the association between prayer and fasting? It's because fasting is associated with a particular event or purpose. Have you ever been asked to fast or you decided to fast and someone, if I were to approach you in that moment and say, okay, you're fasting, why are you fasting? Well, because Christians are supposed to fast. Okay? And do you have any aim or desire or goal or reason or particular focus behind this time of fasting? And you say, well, no, not really. And if you say, no, not really, that's really not the intended type of fasting that the scriptures ever have in mind, is that fasting always has a purpose or intention behind it that's focused. So rather than a general, I'm just fasting today in devotion to the Lord, rather what's spoken of most often is a focused time when you fast. So when you fast, it's for this. I'm fasting for this. Okay, does that make sense? Rather than I'm just fasting generally, no, I'm fasting for this. I'll give you a few examples of what I mean. Daniel 9.3, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, you probably don't have the sackcloth and ashes thing at home, just ready at your disposal to use. Uh, that was part of their cultural traditions that as a type of mourning and humbling, because it's a humbling effect to take off your clothes that are bought with privilege, right? And to put on sackcloth and ashes and to recognize your humble state before your God, that's a humbling thing, isn't it? So it was practiced in association with fasting. I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Did he have something particular in mind in his context? Yes, he did. Esther 4.16, gather all the Jews in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Without even reading any more, we understand that a fast was called for a particular purpose, wasn't it? Fast for me. Fast for me? If I say, Calvin, fast for me tomorrow. Say, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Fast for you tomorrow. Is that something we're supposed to do? Can we do? I hope here, maybe soon, and maybe it's already becoming clear that you will see that actually that's, that could be a thing that, that you ask for. I mean knowing what fasting is actually intended to do, what its purpose is. Another one, 2 Samuel 12, 16, David sought God on behalf of the child. Do you remember this? David lost his child. And what did he do? He fasted for what reason? Just to fast. No, he fasted for the child. Do you see it? And then finally, we have uh, Anna who was a prophetess in Luke 2. And, you know, she was in the temple, and what was she doing? Uh, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, in her context, she, as the context of that passage is, is waiting for that consolation of Israel, waiting for the Redeemer to come, which is why she's inserted in that text. So, although hers was over an extended period of time, 
Hers was dedicated to a particular purpose and function. It wasn't just general fasting. It was fasting for this. Is that concept becoming clear? So when we fast, as seen in some of these examples, that what we should do is have a dedicated focus, intention of what we're fasting for. Why are we fasting? For what intention? For what purpose? It needs to have a driving force behind it that's specific, that's narrow in some sense. What do we even mean when we say that we're going to fast? So let me just put some uh, options here up on the screen and have some scripture with that. There are a few different types of fasting and talk about those just for a moment. And we're very close to getting to our text in Isaiah 58. When we fast, and when we see fasting in Scripture, it falls under one of these four categories. The first type of fasting is going to be a normal fast, which there are many examples of, which why, you know, we can find that normally when you're talking about fasting in Scripture, it falls under this category. And what that means is no food, water only. No food, water only. That's a normal type of fasting. There is also in Scripture, uh, although only on really one occasion, uh, a type of partial fasting, which you intake only necessary nutrition. Necessary nutrition. I was talking to the elders uh, before our service, and I don't even remember exactly the context, but I was talking about Little Debbie's. I grew up with Little Debbie's in my house. Anybody else grow up and you just had a pantry full of Little Debbie's? I always had, we always had Little Debbie's. If we had nothing else, guess what we had? We have Little Debbie's. Just what kind? It, it doesn't matter. Just Little Debbie's, just whatever kind you want. You just go whenever you want, you get a Little Debbie. Do you need Little Debbie's? I, I don't know of any doctor that said, listen, if you go without your Little Debbie today, you're going to be in trouble. So what we can understand, though, is that there is a type of necessary nutrition, and there is a type of if you want to call it nutrition, that we don't need, right? Can you make that distinction in your mind? What I need for the day versus just whatever I want to have. Can you make that distinction? So what I'm saying here right now is what we're going to call for on Thursday from Thursday 6 to Friday at 6 uh, is a normal fast, water only. Should you be one of these people such as uh, pregnant nursing moms or someone else with a uh, health condition. What I want to recommend to you uh, that you participate in a partial fast, meaning that you have just what is necessary for you to have. And I hope that you can draw that distinction. That, yes, I'm, I, you might say, well, I can't fast because I have health issues or I'm whatever it may be. And, but you say, but I recognize also that I can participate in this by just limiting my diet to what is absolutely necessary for me. Does that make sense? And we do see that in Scripture. Uh, there's another type of fast, which is a total fast, um, which normally occurs in a three-day span. Uh, I would say probably for good reason, because uh, you're going without food and water. Uh, that is intense. Wouldn't you agree? Going without food and water for three days? on a general uh, health uh, concept here in the human body, generally speaking, three days is as long as you can go without water, generally speaking. So three days without food and water, we see that in several different places. 
Okay, and then there's another kind of fast. Again, not asking you to participate in this one, but it is 40 days without food and water. You might say, that's, that's crazy. No one has ever done that. Well, specifically, two people have, Moses and Elijah. 40 days without food and water. And again, do we believe that this actually occurred or was this just a fancy way of trying to get the reader to understand something from the text, you know? Or did this really occur? It really occurred, didn't it? And so that's why we call this a supernatural fast, a miraculous type of fasting, that God sustained them through that time. Pretty, pretty unbelievable, isn't it? Did Jesus fast for 40 days? He did. Jesus fasted uh, time before his betrayal, before, uh, before, excuse me, before his uh, temptation in the wilderness, and Although it says that he became hungry, it never says anything about him becoming thirsty. So there's, although he could have not had water, there's no real indication to know whether or not that's what he was participating in. Okay? So with these in mind, what we're calling for from Thursday to Friday is a normal water-only fast for a 24-hour period, 6 to 6. If you fall under some kind of health condition, um, then I'm, I, what I'm going to recommend to you then is that you participate in a... In a uh, partial fast, having necessary nutrition only, okay? There are two other types of categories that we just need to mention. We're going to get to Isaiah 58, okay? And that is a distinction between private fasting and corporate fasting. Private fasting is what you find in Matthew 6, which I read earlier. But then there is another type of fasting that's a corporate fasting, which is in Esther 4 that we see where everyone was called to fast for her. Remember that? We read that. So there is a type where we're all called to fast. Let's all fast for this purpose. See, if we were all fasting and we all had different purposes behind it, things like that, we're not all fasting for the same thing. But if we corporately fast, zeroed in a particular thing, this is what we see occurring in Scripture when a corporate fast is called for, that we're all fasting for this particular purpose. But there also is a type of private fasting where you fast and really no one knows about it but you. And if you're fasting in such a way that you want people to see how much you're afflicted, they'll look at how sad I am. Look at how I'm wasting away to nothing. I haven't had food in two days and I'm going to die. And you're like, you want people to draw attention. Look at how godly I am. Look at how godly I am that I would afflict myself so much. That's not the point. That's actually the very opposite of the point because you're building yourself up rather than humbling yourself, right? So what do we need to say then about fasting from this text in Isaiah? What I hoped to accomplish in a very short amount of time is an overview concept of what fasting is and that we might see fasting happening throughout the scriptures and what we, we might be called to and how prayer is connected to it, okay? So we're going to look at this text from Isaiah 58, and along with it, I'm going to have some summary application points as we look at the text. So let's just begin in verse 1 of Isaiah 58, and I'm going to read initially here through verse 5. It says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. 
They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then this is the the people speaking here in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the days of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So let me explain a little bit before I give you the point of application here. So Isaiah then is called to address the people, and how is he called to address them? He's called to address them according to their sins. There is never a type of fasting that does not acknowledge your sinful condition before the Lord. That is always a necessary element to fasting. So he says, declare to them their sin. And then he says, listen to the hypocrisy of these people. They seek me daily, they delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. And they ask me for righteous judgments. So here's the idea, is that they seek God, they gather together as a people, they do these things that the religious community does, and they don't even know that they're doing something that's wrong. Because externally, it looks like they're doing everything right. And that might be confusing for us too, right? Because you could come in here this morning and you could come with your Bible in hand, you could come with a smile on your face, you could come and give money, you could come and sing the songs, and yet all of it be wrong, although externally it looks right. Does that make sense? Externally, something can look right, but internally there's a disconnect and so it's very, very wrong. And this is what was happening with the people. See, they're seeking me. They're delighting to know my ways. They're participating in their traditions. They're doing all of this stuff. And then it says they're even fasting. And then they complain to God and they say, we're fasting, but why didn't you see it? We're bowing our heads low. We're humbling ourselves, but you're not even taking knowledge of it. Why? And he tells them why. You, f- you fast to seek your own pleasure. And isn't that exactly what fasting is supposed to negate? Isn't that what fasting is supposed to do? It's supposed to humble ourselves. It's supposed to be self-affliction. And the reason they were doing it is because they wanted something from God. So fasting primarily then is something that we need to understand. It It is not to get something from God. You are not fasting to get from God. Because who does that make fasting about? You. And is that what acts of worship to the Lord are? You're only here today because you want God to bless you. Yeah, I'm going to sing this song, but it's because I want the favor of God. I'm going to give money because I want him to give me money. And so the motivation is selfish, and, and this is what God is saying. Don't you see that you're only doing these acts because you want something for yourself? So here's... Here's what we must avoid. Here's our first point of application. I believe I only have three, if I'm remembering correctly. We must avoid the kind of fasting that is self-seeking, sinful, and superficial. So when we fast, we must avoid the kind of fasting that is self-seeking. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this to benefit myself, which would fall under I'm doing it for health reasons. 
right? I'm doing it just because it's a healthy thing to do. Yeah, our church is fasting on Thursday. I don't really know why we're doing it. It's kind of weird. But I, I've heard, I've read that it's actually healthy. So that's, I'm going to do it for that. That's, that's not what we're doing. That's not what this is called for. If you're doing this for selfish reasons, then this is not the kind of fasting that the Lord would call you, call you to. Excuse me, call you to. But the kind of fasting that God calls us to, if it's not self-seeking, then what is it? It is, is seeking Him, seeking His glory, His benefit, okay? And it is filled with sin. They were fighting. <laughs> I heard someone comment on this, and I think it's true, is that maybe the reason they were fighting is because they were hungry. When you get hungry, do you get irritable? Right? That's why they invented the Snickers commercial, because it resonates with everyone right? When you get hungry, you're going to get irritable. So what does that mean for you when you fast? To be aware of that, to be careful, right? So when we get together for our service and it's six o'clock and no one's had anything to eat for 23 hours and we're all, let's just, can we just get this done with already, please? Right? Someone took your parking spot, someone sitting where you wanted to sit. We need to be aware and have self-control. Is that a fruit of the Spirit? Is that evidence that the Spirit of God is working in you that you might have self-control? You know you have the ability to have self-control should the Spirit of God be in you. And that's also true when you're just hungry whenever. You know that, right? Even when you're not fasting, you're hungry and you're irritable because we know that happens. You know you can overcome that by the Spirit of God, right? Right? You know that? Okay. So, We need to avoid these kind of self-seeking, sinful, superficial activities. This is what the people of God were called out for. You think this is the kind of fast that I want you to have? That you're just doing the external thing and that's all I want? I just want you to be miserable. Good, thank you for doing that. Here's some blessing. It's just so wrong on so many levels to think that that's what God wants. So, what does God want? Good, that's what he goes to next. So let's look at Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. So he says, this is God speaking, and he says, is this not the fast that I choose? So here it is. Here's the kind of fasting that God wants. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless and the poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, that is, from your own people. So, what does this mean? Why is that the kind of fasting that God wants? Is this not the fast that I choose, that you might cease from sin and that you might be focused on other people and serving someone other than yourself? Now, I believe the reason that it's spoken of this way is because when you have truly been humbled, you're going to think about other people. It is a natural association with fasting that if you're truly humbling yourselves, you're going to be thinking about other people. And what happens when you're thinking about other people is that you're going to want something for them. And it's naturally going to bend us towards serving others and serving God because I have been humbled myself. True fasting is humility, is humbling ourselves before the Lord. How much do I want to be humbled? Before everyone. 
I want to be the lowest one. I want to consider myself as the lowest and everyone else above me. And if that is my mentality, I'm going to be serving everyone with God at the very top. Isn't that the mentality that we should be having as believers? Is that I am at the bottom and then other people are next, right? Who do we serve above all? God is at the very top, of course. But I am at the very bottom, not you. And if that is my mentality, then I'm going to naturally direct my efforts at serving God, serving other people. Does that make sense? So we might uh, say it this way. The kind of fasting that God desires is, first of all, repentant, right? Loose the bonds of wickedness, it says. So you're acknowledging your sin, which means if you're acknowledging your sin, does God just want you to say, okay, I recognize I'm a sinner, and then move on? Or does he say, recognize your sin and repent of it? Isn't that the point? So we recognize our sin and we cast it off. Loose the bonds of wickedness that's holding you captive. Let it go. That means repent. So we repent of our sins, which is what God desired for them to do. And then in turn, you humble yourself and you begin to be others-focused, service-oriented in your mentality. This will show us that we're properly being Um, properly being brought low. Not only this, it's focused, is that you're realizing what you should be doing. Do we have a problem with concentration? (coughs) Have you recognized that even over these last 40 minutes? I have a real problem with concentration because there are so many things in our world that are moving so fast and there's so much information and things to do and we're busy and there's constant distraction And so we can't concentrate on one thing. Do you know what fasting helps us with? Is that it gives us a dedicated time to focus on what the Lord would have for us and humbling ourselves before him and thinking about how we can focus our energy to love God, to humble ourselves before him, and to serve and love his people in a humble way. This is what God desires. So if your fasting elevates you and your pleasures, it's the wrong kind of fasting, right? Okay, I just wanted to mention a passage from Joel because it, it, uh, it's just a couple of verses, but it, it's, it's also talking to the people who were fasting, and uh, it, it just gives an indication of a true type of fasting that God's looking for. This is Joel 2, 12 through 14. Let's listen to what it says. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Why does it call for fasting when we return to the Lord? Why fasting? Because it's a necessary external condition that is reflective of an inward disposition in our hearts of humility. John Piper has said in this way that it is an intensifier, which I think is exactly right. I don't know that I would say it any other way. It is an intensifier that when we pray, fasting intensifies our prayers. And when we seek to humble ourselves before the Lord, fasting works as an intensifier to humble ourselves before the Lord, right? In the passage in Joel, it says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Because when we clothe ourselves with sackcloth and ashes, we're rending our garments says, don't you realize that actually it's the disposition of your heart that matters, not the external thing 
So although you may fast and everybody sees it externally, the heart is what God is after, right? The heart is what God is after. Okay, let's get to our last point here. This is verses 8 through 14. 8 through 14, we'll just read it. So what we're going to focus on and what the text focuses on in this next and final section are the results. So the first section was about what they were doing wrong, right? The next section was about what God would have them do properly. And this final section are the results of proper fasting. The results, the intended results of proper fasting. Verses 8 through 14. Then, he says, after you have fasted the way God intends, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, the Lord will answer, you shall cry, he will say, here I am. Isn't that what we all want? If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out to the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise from the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. All those things right there were all about if you have properly humbled yourself. Did you see that? If... Uh, the pointing of the finger. Uh, why are you pointing the finger? You're the problem. You're the problem, not me. If the pointing of the finger goes away, you've humbled yourself to where you're no longer pointing the finger and you're recognizing your own issues, right? If the pointing of the finger goes away and you're pouring yourself out uh, and speaking wickedness and you're pouring yourself out to the hungry, um, then it says, your light shall rise as darkness and gloom be as the noonday, that is, your gloom will be gone. And then verse 11 and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire. Th this is very important, and I believe that this right here in verse 11 is the climax of the whole passage, that the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire. When you've been fasting, what is it that you want? To be satisfied. And when you have done this properly, you're going to find that it is God himself who satisfies you. It is God himself who satisfies you. And it continues, in a scorched place, making your bones strong and being like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins will become rebuilt. You shall rise up on the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath and doing my pleasure on my holy day and the Sabbath, the delight and the holy day honorable of the Lord honorable, and if you honor it, not going your own way, seeking your own pleasure, talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob and your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, let's summarize that in this way. So the results, these are the results of proper fasting. The results of God honoring fasting include help. Did you see that in the text? Go back up to verse... Uh, Verse 8, your light shall break forth like the dawn, your healing, your righteousness, glory. God is going to guard you. Do you hear all this? All this? Then you shall call on the Lord. He will answer. He will guide you. He will satisfy you. So we're receiving help from the Lord. And clarity in prayer in a satisfied soul. Clarity in prayer. Now, this is very important. Clarity in prayer. Um, verse 11 is indicating this, is that the Lord is going to guide you and continually satisfy your desire. 
understanding that when we pray, we're praying according to our desires, are we not? Or when you pray, are you praying according to your desires? Or are you praying for something else? It'd be strange if you were praying for something else. Uh, we're praying according to our desires, what it is that we desire most. And so, if it is the Lord who is guiding us, and it is He who is then satisfying those desires, it is uh, in comparison to this idea that the Lord, if you, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart, right? And of course, we know what that means. It doesn't mean anything you desire, God's going to give it. It means He literally is giving you the things that you crave. He is changing your cravings. He changes the cravings of your heart to crave true good things. He gives that to you, right? Do you want the desires of your heart to be changed? To crave what we should crave? And rather than craving food, we crave God himself. This is what we want. We want to be satisfied not with money, not with relationships, not with all of our problems going away. I want to be satisfied with God completely, Regardless of my circumstance, do you want that? I want that. And fasting is an intensifier to understanding and coping with these realities. And it humbles us before the Lord. You take delight in the Lord and he will feed us. Okay, so all these are good. Now, as I say that these are the results of fasting, please do not understand this as a sacrament as the Catholic Church would right? Penance, in a sense. That if I deprive myself of food, and I suffer, and I do it even with a Godward heart, that God is going to all of a sudden grant me all the things I ever wanted, and all my mourning and darkness and gloom will go away completely, and I will never have suffering ever again. Should I suffer, I'll just fast for a little bit, and God will bless me again, and all will be good. So, this is the idea that that in the Catholic Church, this is called exopore operato, right? In the working, it is worked. If you just do it, then it's done. That is, if you just fast, God will bless you. And it has nothing to do with the inward disposition of your heart. But what we've learned, I hope you can see, is that it has everything to do with the inward disposition of your heart and the external act of fasting, uh, of fasting is simply a, 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 a reaction to what's already happening in our hearts. Isn't it very similar to uh, baptism in that way or the Lord's Supper in that way, right? But it's not an ordinance of the church, but it is something that was expected by Jesus in his disciples. Do you see it? Obviously, there's much that can be said about fasting, and I'm amazed that we said this much. What I wanted to do is take some ideas that you already were somewhat familiar with and focus us on the biblical concepts of fasting so that when we participate this coming Thursday, that we all together are in the same mindset of what it is that we're being called to do, okay? Um, so, all that being said, we're going to end with this final idea here, and this is, this is going to call for some, some thought from you and some uh, application, okay? As we fast on Thursday, and by the way, you don't have to just fast on Thursday. If you want to fast yourself through the whole week for three days, for a couple of days intermixed, this is entirely up to you, but our day of corporate fasting is going to be Thursday from 6 to Friday at 6, okay? And as we fast on Thursday, here is going to be our corporate focus because we should be focused on what we're praying for. Why are you fasting? What are you fasting for? Corporately, here's what we're going to fast for on Thursday. 
we're going to fast for wisdom, unity, and humility as we seek the Lord's direction for the future of Fellowship Renewed Church. Why might we be focusing on that? Well, many of you know, you feel it. As the church has grown over this past year, we have had, in a sense, many growing pains associated with that growth. And things that we have never had to enter into together as a church, and it, and it stretches us, right? And although that is not a bad thing, it does call for unity within our body. It calls for wisdom, does it not? And it, and it calls for us to uh, generally just be humble and to recognize that we're all in this together. Let's just be humble as we seek the Lord together as a church as we're moving into the future of what God would have us do. So we're praying for wisdom. We're praying for unity. Does God want a united, unified church? Yes. And we're praying for humility. Does God want us humble? Yes. So on Thursday, this is what we'll be praying for together as our corporate focus. So here's something for you to take home then is that uh, while we do have a corporate focus, I want you to also have a private focus in your fasting. So what is it in your life that you would like to specifically identify and pray for? And this could be as a whole family, okay? Your family, or it could just be you as an individual. I'm not sure what it is. But we should be dedicating our time and and I would encourage, I would encourage families to maybe talk about this one together because it will help you identify should you be having, what, what is it right now that if we were to dedicate ourselves as a family, just as we have done for the church, if we were to dedicate ourselves as a family to prayer, fasting, focus, what would it be? And if it's not a family reality for you, this can be a personal reality for you. What would the Lord have me focus on and pray for during this particular time? Okay? So when we fast, as Jesus anticipated we would, if possible, we're going to not have anything to eat. We're only going to drink water Thursday at 6 to Friday at 6. And then we're all, even though it's going to stretch our schedules and it's going to be difficult for some of us, it's going to involve driving, rearranging things, we will, if at all possible, please, I'm asking you, come to our Good Friday service Worship with us in the word, through music, have the Lord's Supper, celebrate that time together with us that we might be together rejoicing and celebrating and seeking the Lord in all of these things together as a family, as a family. I, I will just mention here as we're closing that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there will be childcare available, okay? I know many of you have young kids and you're thinking, yeah, I would come to that, but it would be a wild, chaotic mess for me to enter into those doors with my children. I understand that. And so we have arranged for people to uh, care for our young children um, uh, down here while you come and spend your time in here praying, okay? Just didn't want to leave that point out. I forgot to mention that earlier, okay? Um, all this come across today? You know what I wish? I wish that I didn't only have Sunday mornings to discuss all these. We got a lot of talk. We have a lot to talk about. And so I, I hope that you will with me see that what we're doing as a church is not a sprint. This is a marathon together, and this is one time out where we're focusing our attention for this morning on prayer and fasting. We're getting a steady diet of the word as we go. 
for fellowshipping together, but there is so much for us to discuss, which is why your interactions with one another is so important. So do not isolate, but instead try to integrate with your family to know them, care for them, know how you can be praying for them and love them, okay? We all together on that? I know that we are, which is why I can say it with confidence and joy. So looking forward to this week with you. I believe it's going to be a great time of devotion to the Lord. Um, So let's all pray together. We're going to sing one more song together, okay? Let's pray.